the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 28. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus instituted the Holy Supper. He took bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus wanted his disciples to remember him when he was gone. He wanted them to celebrate a feast eating his body and drinking his blood in remembrance of him. In the early church, when unbelievers heard about this supper that Christians partook in, they misunderstood it. The references to eating Christ's body and drinking his blood caused many to think that Christians were practicing cannibalism. 
Some thought that the Christians were killing and eating their children. They did not understand that when Jesus spoke about eating his body and drinking his blood, he was speaking figuratively. They did not understand that Jesus wanted his followers to identify closely with him in his death so that they might share in the forgiveness of sins and in life with him. The Lord's Supper is one of the sacraments instituted by Christ. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They picture a spiritual truth and they seal or assure us that by faith we may share in its benefits. The bread is a symbol of Christ's body, which was offered for us. The wine is a symbol of Christ's blood, which is poured out for us. They are visible reminders of how the Lord Jesus was willing to offer up his body and blood for us on the cross. He did so that we might share in the blessings of salvation he has accomplished for us. When Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, he knew that he would soon be leaving his disciples. He would die and be raised again on the third day. And after spending some weeks with his disciples, would go up into heaven. That's another reason why he gave this sacrament. So that when we celebrate it, we might be joined in communion with him. That we might experience his nearness and his care in our lives. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. The Holy Spirit strengthens our faith in Jesus Christ through the Lord's Supper. He assures us that Christ died for us and that we may live in unity with him. We read this afternoon from John 6. This chapter starts with Jesus leaving the crowds behind and going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But large crowds followed him, for they saw the miraculous signs he was doing in healing the sick. Seeing the crowds, Jesus asked the disciples about how they were going to feed such a large crowd. He said this to test them. When the crowds had gathered, Jesus instructed them to sit down. And he took a boy's lunch of five small loaves and two fish. And he distributed them so that everyone had enough to eat. Thus Jesus fed a large crowd of 5,000 men, besides the women and children. The next day, the crowds followed Jesus to Capernaum. Jesus admonishes them for chasing after him for the material benefits he provided. They should have been following him because they saw the miraculous signs that confirmed that he was the promised Messiah. They asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. The crowds asked Jesus, for a sign to confirm that he was sent by God. They pointed out God had provided their fathers with manna in the wilderness. Jesus responded, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
Please note, beloved, that the Israelites ate real bread, which God provided for them during their wilderness sojourn. Yet Jesus uses this image of God feeding his people as a symbol. He said to the crowds, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They responded, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is not talking about actual hunger or thirst that come from not having food or drink. What he is saying is that those who come to him and believe in him will have all their needs met. In the ancient world, bread was a symbol of life. We see this in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. In this prayer, we're asking God to provide all our bodily needs. During Israel's time in the wilderness, God gave his people manna. He gave them bread from heaven. And that way he sustained the lives of his people for 40 years until he brought them into the promised land. Once they were in the land of Canaan, they grew wheat and barley. And so they were able to feed their families. In Israel, a lack of bread was synonymous with famine. People ate bread as a main part of their diet. And so bread became a symbol for life. It's for this reason that the Lord Jesus Christ called himself the bread of life. He wanted to teach his people to find their lives in him alone. He wanted to teach his people they needed him as much as they needed their daily bread. Jesus wanted to make it clear that it's only through faith in him that their lives could be sustained. In John 6, verse 51, Christ told the people, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Bread is a symbol of Christ's body, which was broken for us for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Wine was not a staple of life in Israel. Bread was daily food, but the common drink was water. This is true in New Testament times as well. Wine belonged to special occasions. It was used at festive meals and at weddings. It is part of the feast that the Lord will prepare for his people. God has given wine to gladden the heart of man. And such wine is a symbol of joy. When Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, he did so at the Passover feast. At this feast, it was common to drink wine. God's people look back at the wondrous deliverance God provided from slavery in Egypt. They were thankful. Their hearts rejoiced at God's mighty deeds. In instituting the Lord's Supper, Christ pointed to wine as a symbol of his blood, which he would shed for us on the cross. 
Christ offered his blood as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that we might share in the forgiveness of all our sins. Beloved, this is a cause for great celebration. For Christ has redeemed us from our sins and from the mastery of Satan. Instead of coming under God's condemnation, he's made it possible for us to share in life with him, now and eternally. Jesus came into this world with the express purpose of offering up his life for ours. He told his disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to redeem us from our sins and from all the effects of our sins. He came to take the curse which lay on us so that God us with his blessings. The only way that Christ could do this was by dying for us on the cross. Christ's death is the turning point of all human history. He died. He gave up his life so that we would not have to experience eternal condemnation. Peter writes, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. To get rid of the chasm between God and us, resulting from our sins. It's through Jesus Christ. It's only through him that our sins are forgiven, that we are restored to righteousness and life. But how can we share in Christ and in all these wonderful benefits he promises us? By faith alone. In Lord's Day 25, we dealt with the question, since faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits, where does this faith come from? And the answer was, from the Holy Spirit. It's only through the powerful working of the Spirit in us that we can believe in Christ crucified to pay for all our sins. Yet in order to convince us of this truth, the Spirit uses specific means. He works faith in us through the preaching of the gospel. He strengthens our faith through the use of the sacraments. So practically speaking, how can we use the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in a way that strengthens our faith? Everyone in church, whether you're an, ad an adult or a child, whether you're a confessing member or not, can see the minister breaking the bread and pouring the wine. Through these symbols, we are reminded that as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the wine poured, so surely was Christ's body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. We are directed to the cross where Jesus gave up his life for us. Those who partake in the Lord's Supper 
are given bread to eat and wine to drink. We're called to eat and drink in remembrance of Christ. To take the time to sit back, to ponder on the great sacrifice that Christ has made for us. To experience the great love he has shown us in giving his life for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, beloved, the Lord's Supper is not just about what we do. At the end of question and answer 75 of the Catechism, we confess that Christ is also active in the Lord's Supper. It says that as surely as I taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord, as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. The original text of the Catechism says that Christ feeds me with his crucified body and gives me his blood to drink. It's actually a rather shocking image to think of us feeding on Christ's body and drinking his blood. Yet Christ used this kind of language in Scripture. In John 6, verse 53, Jesus said to the Jews, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Later in verse 57, he said, The one who feeds on me will live because of me. What did Jesus mean by those words? Christ did not mean for people to literally eat his flesh and drink his blood. The point is that we can only make Christ our own by faith in him. We need to believe that his death on the cross is enough to pay for all my sins. Beloved, we need to confess our sins and then we need to leave them at the cross. Not to take them up again, to be burdened by false guilt or shame, but to believe all my sins are truly forgiven in Christ's death. And that as a result, God receives me as his child. God loves me and he cares for me. This brings us to our second point. Through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit not only assures us that Christ died for us, he also assures us that we may live in unity with him. So far, we focus much of our attention on how the bread and wine are symbols of Christ's body and blood. And on how, in the Lord's Supper, we remember that Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. We focus on the fact that Christ died in our place as our substitute. And now, through his redeeming work, we may share in the forgiveness of our sins. In theology, we call this our justification we sometimes use the example of the courtroom to explain how Christ has taken our sins upon himself so that we might be declared righteous or just in the sight of God. We picture ourselves as having to appear before God, our judge, who will hold us accountable for all our sins. Yet we know that Christ pleads our cause for us. 
He doesn't argue that we're not guilty as charged. Instead, he intercedes for us before God's throne by saying, our sins have been paid for in his blood. And the result is, is that God declares us not guilty of our sins. Beloved, there's a problem with this illustration. At a certain point in our trial, we are pushed aside and Christ takes our place. Initially, we were the ones who were in the dock. We were charged with an innumerable number of transgressions and shortcomings. But at a certain point, Christ steps forward to take our place. It's like he takes our place as the guilty person in the dock while we are retired to the public gallery. Christ is a substitute taking on himself our guilt and the punishment of our sins. And in the meantime, it seems like we're little more than spectators observing this wonderful work of grace from the sidelines. Now, with respect to our justification, this example is accurate. But it doesn't represent a complete picture of what happens. The problem with this illustration is that it leaves the sinner essentially unchanged. We're freed from our guilt. We're delivered from God's judgment. But otherwise, we appear to be unaffected. Spectators, rather than participants in this divine drama. That's not the full story. You see, beloved... We need to identify with Christ in his death, in his crucifixion and death. The Apostle Paul brings this across in various passages. In Galatians 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. With these words, the Apostle describes his union with Christ. He describes how we are in Christ and how Christ is in us. How Christ not only died on the cross and rose again, but how we are also crucified with Christ and raised up to a new life with him. What does Paul mean when he speaks about being crucified with Christ. What Paul is saying is that if you're a follower of Christ, you were nailed to the cross too. The crucifixion is not just a fact about the life of Jesus Christ. It's also part of every Christian's personal life story. The point is that just as Christ was physically nailed to a cross, so our old nature was crucified with him. Paul explains that just as Christ rose from the dead, so he also raises us up to a new life. That's how we share in Christ's death and resurrection. You see, beloved, Christ has done much more than just provide us with pardon for our sins. He makes us into 
a new creation. Christ has not only set us free from guilt and condemnation of sin, but also from the mastery of sin. In Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. By the Holy Spirit, Christ works a new life in us, so that more and more, it's a joy and a delight for us to live our lives in obedience to all God's commands. How does that happen? Only through our union with Christ. Again and again, the scriptures teach us that the Christian is in Christ. That we're united in him. There's only one way to be united with Christ. That is by faith. In Philippians 3, Paul speaks about putting aside all the things that as a Pharisee he thought could earn him righteousness with God. Paul writes, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Here Paul stresses how we're united to Christ by faith alone. Yet the point is, once we put our faith in Christ, then we are in Christ. Our union with him becomes a spiritual reality. Martin Luther said, By faith you are so cemented to Christ that he and you are as one person, which cannot be separated but remain attached to him forever. For Paul, sharing in Christ has a profound effect on his life. Paul calls us to live up to what we have already attained. He calls Christians to follow his example in how they live their daily lives. He warns of those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their focus is on earthly things. Yet Paul stresses that our citizenship is in heaven. That we need to live in expectation of Christ's return. Beloved, we celebrate our union with Christ in the Lord's Supper. Question answer 76 makes this clear. It asks, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? The second part of this answer focuses on our union with Christ. To eat the crucified body of Christ and drink his shed blood means to be united more and more to Christ's sacred body through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. What's the catechism saying here? It is stressing that the Holy Spirit binds us together in unity with Christ. In John 6, verse 56, Jesus said, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. To abide with Christ means to remain with him, 
to be bound to him. It's to experience that close fellowship that comes when the barriers of sin and all its effects are removed. Paul writes about our communion with Christ in 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 14, Paul warns the Corinthians to flee from idolatry. The situation to which the Apostle Paul is responding is that some of the church members were attending cultic meals in pagan temples. They were going to the temples of other gods and participating in the eating of food offered to idols. Some of the believers in Corinth saw nothing wrong with this. They knew the other gods didn't really exist. And so they argued that it was okay to eat food offered to them. Paul makes clear the folly of partaking in these pagan feasts. He does so by referring to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Paul makes it clear that the bread is the communion of the body of Christ. That the cup is the communion of the blood of Christ. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Paul's point is that by eating of the bread and drinking of the cup, we're united with Christ and with one another. The Corinthians are foolish to think that partaking in a feast offered to pagan gods in the midst of unbelievers would leave them unstained. Paul's point is that these pagan feasts were acts of worship. Satan used these to keep unbelievers in spiritual bondage. He could also use them to draw God's people astray. For these feasts were not just about eating a meal. They often involved drinking and cultic prostitution. Paul warned the Corinthian believers that partying with unbelievers in the temples of their gods is contrary to having communion with Christ. For when they engaged in pagan revelry, they left Christ behind. Paul makes it clear we cannot have fellowship with Christ and at the same time have fellowship with demons. This teaches us something about the consequences of having communion with Christ at the Lord's table. Beloved, if we truly want to be one with Christ at his table, we also need to be one with him in our daily lives. With the Lord, it's either all or nothing. God requires a whole life commitment. He calls us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. The reason why we celebrate the Lord's Supper is to strengthen and nourish our faith in Christ. It's so we may be encouraged to walk with him in our daily lives. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is a command. Christ commanded us to remember him by eating the body and drinking his blood. He commanded us to do so until he comes. Whenever possible, we should partake in the Lord's Supper, 
For Christ uses it to strengthen us in our faith. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is also a great privilege. For it reminds and assures us Christ has died on the cross for all our sins. By partaking in it, we're drawn into close communion with Christ our Savior, and we're encouraged to abide in Him. May we use this sacrament to remember Christ's redeeming work and to celebrate our union with Him. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 63, stanzas 1 and 3.